PDPW On Demand. Here's Bill Baker. Miracle is not a word that's tossed around lightly in a hospital room, but that's exactly what everyone was saying about what happened to our next guest. We're joined by Shelly O'Leary. Shelly's been the communications and outreach specialist with professional dairy producers since 2016. She was raised on a Wisconsin dairy farm, and the bulk of her life's been devoted to the dairy industry. She also has 20 years of independent contractor sales experience in which she served in leadership, coaching, and teaching roles. But today, Shelly shares a personal experience from only a short time ago that's given her new perspective. In this week's podcast titled, The Gift of Death. Hello, friends and listeners. I am thrilled to join the roster of PDPW podcast presenters. And I'm really looking forward to chatting with you in the weeks ahead about some of life's toughest challenges and how we can unwrap the gifts they make available to us. So to kick off the series, I want to start by discussing the gift of death. That doesn't maybe sound too delightful, and I'm not going to be talking about what might be considered acceptable types of deaths. You know, the death of a bloodthirsty dictator or a dangerous criminal or even snakes and rodents and spiders. But rather, I want to chat about the deaths that shake us to our core. There are some really important lessons we can learn from them. And the way I see it, I figure if you have to go through something really crummy, you may as well get something beneficial out of it. Grab that gold nugget while you're there in the fire and then get out of there as soon as you can. I want to start by sharing a personal testimony. So a little over three years ago, I was serving as a Sunday school teacher at a week-long camp for our church. Kids from all over the state gather together to learn more about God, play games, and enjoy all the activities of summertime at camp. They make friends and, and they get together with old friends, and we sing songs of worship during the evening services. Well, during the opening service, first night of camp, I was singing on the platform with a few other adult praise team singers. Apparently, after taking a drink of water from my water bottle, I collapsed, face forward on the stage. I remember taking that drink of water. I do not remember falling on my face in front of everybody. <laughs> Fortunately, there was a friend of mine in the congregation who had been watching me with concern, and she told me later, I could not figure out why I couldn't take my eyes off you but as soon as you went down, I knew God had me watching you for a reason. She had immediately grabbed her friend, or rather pushed her, toward me to say, that lady up there, she needs your help. Her friend was an emergency room nurse, and uh, she would know what to do. Well, when she got up to me, pushing her way through the crowd, she was able to determine that I hadn't been breathing, or I wasn't breathing at the time, and I didn't have a pulse. So she gave me a few quick breaths, and she began chest compressions as soon as she could. Uh, within mere seconds, three other nurses were at my side. One of them is my good friend, Angie. Well, someone must have called 911, and another someone helped distract a 100 or so children into another building, and somebody else was sent to stand by the end of the driveway so they could quickly direct the emergency personnel 
to the building where people were working on me. Otherwise, there's a lot of buildings on the campground, and they might not have had a clue. Elsewhere on the campground, the singing turned to praying. The first responder who came to the scene happened to live nearby, and he just happened to have a defibrillator in his car. Apparently, that's not always the case. Well, unfortunately, this was a really old defibrillator, and it didn't really work. As I understand it, somebody who was working on the scene fetched some duct tape to rig up the machine. Uh, Well, they got it working, but the first two shocks did not revive me. The third one stirred up a little bit of life. By the time the ambulance finally arrived on the scene, I had been totally without breath and pulse for about 15 minutes. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, the brain can survive for up to about six minutes once the heart stops circulating blood throughout the body. But permanent brain damage can begin after eh, about four minutes. Without oxygen to the brain, stuff just stopped working. Well, the nurses working on me knew way too much time had transpired, but they continued working on me, even though they knew I would be lost without a miracle. I don't remember a thing about the ambulance ride to the ER in the first hospital. I vaguely remember being strapped down to my back, uh, strapped to my back in a helicopter, and I have a a really hazy memory of people racing me down a runway into a different hospital. I remember thinking only, my goodness, these people are sure in a hurry for something. Well, I eventually awakened to a room full of nurses and doctors and beeping instruments all around me. By the time my husband had made the hour-and-a-half-long trip to the hospital, the doctors had been asking me a whole bunch of questions. What's your name? Do you know where you are right now? Do you remember where you were earlier today? Who's the president of the United States? Do you know the names of these people gathered around you? I sure did. I named off my husband, our pastor and his wife, and my good friend, Angie. In that particular moment, I had no idea they were trying to assess me for signs of brain damage. They didn't particularly care what day it was or who the president was. They just were trying to determine what the damage was. Turns out my ability to speak and to answer the questions correctly was a greater miracle than being brought back to life in the first place. The doctors were astounded. By this time, they had determined the cause of my death to be an electrical malfunction um, during which the heart fails to beat on its own. We call that cardiac arrest. But the doctors had no idea why my heart stopped beating. Um, I certainly was not a candidate. I was way too young. I uh, didn't have a family history of it. They couldn't figure out why that would happen to me. But they knew for sure that my awareness and my aliveness was a miracle. And that's not a word they toss around lightly in the medical community. I ended up being in the hospital just another two and a half days. Doctors ran more tests, and they decided, uh, when they still couldn't figure out what the reason might have been to cause a cardiac arrest, that they would implant a defibrillator slash pacemaker. It's an ICD. I can't remember what it stands for. But essentially, it serves as both a defibrillator, which jumpstarts your heart. 
if you ever if the heart ever stops beating and it also serves as a pacemaker so it keeps my heart beating regularly one of the most common questions people asked me in the days directly afterward was if I was scared that my heart would stop beating again and I wasn't truth is I'm not afraid of it even today uh, in fact I believe there's nothing wrong with my heart I sincerely believe God chose me in that particular minute to remind us that he's still powerful and he's still in control. In today's world, we see people and communities being swallowed up in fear, panic, pandemonium, and that never leads to productive solutions. So what is the gift of death? Let's just focus on one. Um, I'll say that like nothing else, death certainly offers us the gift of perspective. If you've ever lost a loved one, most of us have, or even if you've endured the loss of an idea or a dream, you're in a position to draw from the benefits of the gift of perspective. Here's a definition of perspective. A particular attitude towards something, a way of regarding something, a point of view. I call it the glass half full or the glass half empty ideology. You know, you have a bunch of lemons, make lemonade out of it. Everyone listening to this podcast knows of somebody who was taken away from this life without any notice, way too soon, way too young. These moments are so devastating. They are a punch in the gut. They are defining moments that stand still in time. But once we've had a chance to go through the grieving process and step a little bit back from the ordeal, it's really important to frame these events a little more productively because these moments in our lives are pivotal growing opportunities. They are the grit in the oyster that becomes the pearl. They're the struggle in the cocoon that ensures the butterfly will emerge with wings strong enough to fly. Moments like these are going to happen to every single one of us, but we get to make the choice to either become bitter or to become better. Our world right now could use a little bit of better rather than bitter, don't you think? It's crazy out there. It's confusing. It's chaotic. It's a big, colossal mess. We can choose to cross our arms and knit our brows and weary ourselves with worry, or we can seek out one person's situation and decide to make a difference in just one life. Perspective. I have a niece who should have walked the graduation stage this May, but like so many other 2020 graduates, her dream of crossing the stage in cap and gown was not to be. For many students, the devastation was real. This was to be their crowning achievement in their young lives thus far. But due to circumstances outside their control, that pinnacle moment never happened. However, in communities across our great nation, two million homeschooled students spend as many years in school and earn the same right to graduate. And for the most part, those graduations come and go without any pomp and circumstance, yet they're every bit as thrilled to reach their milestone moment. And across the world, 72 million 
school-age children don't even have access to an education at all. Many of you listening will remember that in the years of President Kennedy and President Johnson and President Nixon, many high school graduates wore a military uniform instead of a cap and gown. They crossed the ocean to serve in a foreign war. Not only did several of them not participate in a high school graduation ceremony, many of them never even came back home. Perspective. Isn't it a little silly how we can get so bent out of shape when the clock is against us and we're rushing and scrambling to get chores done so we can get in the shower, change our clothes, and still get the kids to a 4-H meeting on time? And in the meantime, our tempers are flaring and everything you try to do quickly either breaks or spills or just doesn't cooperate. If you ask me, being late is never fun to go through at the time but it certainly is cause for pause and to exercise perspective. Back in 2001, an ambitious young man was upset at himself about being late for work. Everything that morning seemed to be going against him as he tried to rush out the door to get to work on time. As he sat in slow traffic, he fumed. As he hit every red light, he could feel his blood pressure rising. It felt like he hit every detour known to man, and he grew angrier with every wasted minute. He knew, of course, there wasn't going to be a decent parking spot left in the parking ramp when he got there. When at last he stomped out of the parking ramp that September morning, a full 20 minutes late now, he could see from blocks away a black plume of smoke dangerously near his office location. And now he could hear sirens blaring across the city. He saw people crying, running. He heard people screaming and shrieking. He saw people just standing there, staring, dazed and slack-jawed, pointing their fingers toward the burning tower. And as reality hit him, this young man realized getting to work on time on that day would have cost him his life. Perspective. So right after I died, I began to look at things with a fresh set of eyes. I certainly counted myself blessed beyond measure, and I was thankful at an entirely new level. But I also began reassessing a few things in my life. At that particular time, my plate was piled high with activities. And there were a few things I felt committed to that I was totally not passionate about anymore. Serving in those roles was draining me. Fulfilling those obligations was just adding stress to my life. But as it turns out, having just died is a very good excuse to not do stuff you don't want to do. People are so understanding I found myself thrilled to not have to facilitate the next monthly meeting and determine the agenda. And frankly, I didn't even want to participate in that voluntary coaching program. And when I had to tell the leader of the program that I didn't feel like joining, she totally understood. She kind of thought, you know what, this lady has just died. I probably should cut her a little bit of slack. But it became clear to me 
if I'm being honest about it, that I was serving in roles I didn't need to be. And there were other tasks I was doing that I didn't need to do. I could hand them over to other people, give them a chance to grow, to develop, and to learn new skills. Here's a thought for you. If you have a really good excuse to not serve in a certain position or you're in an activity and you're just really thankful that you have a really good excuse to not do that, even if that really good excuse is a pretty awful circumstance, you may want to consider if you really need to be involved in that activity. I'm not proposing at all that we should live a lifestyle in which we're never helpful, we're not willingly involved in our churches, our schools, our communities, but I am encouraging every one of us to be selective in our choices because we really can overdo some of these things. Some of us are prone to assume no one else is going to do it if I don't do it and people are relying on me. Well, I want to tell you, life is too short to fill it up with tons of stuff to do just for the sake of being busy or impressing people or because you've convinced yourself that nobody else will do the job the way it needs to be done. I think we could all do ourselves a favor by whittling away those activities we're involved in merely because we feel obligated. So I have some take-home points that I encourage each of you to consider. One, what is one thing you're doing right now that you don't like doing and you don't even have to do? Stop doing it. Two, what is one activity you're involved in that you'd love to hand off to someone else? Make that move. Three, what is something you'd love to start doing that you're not doing now? Make even a small step toward it. Four, who is that person who needs to hear you say how much they mean to you? Tell them. Call them. Text them. Leave them a post-it note where you know they'll find it and let them know. Here's something that dying will do for you if you ever get around to doing it and then you're brought back to life to ponder it. Um, It prompts the following questions. Why am I here? What am I here to do? Am I doing it? I think it's pretty common for people to wonder what their individual purpose here on this earth is. And I welcome you to reflect on what yours might be. I'm guessing it's possible that our purpose, this will be true for many of us anyway, that our purpose isn't some huge, grand, elaborate scheme. In fact, it may be that we're simply here to consistently express love and appreciation to the people we interact with, the people we live with, the people we work with in kind, heartfelt, and genuine ways. And when your life is patterned in this way, your perspective will be contagious. And that's a contagion worth spreading. Our thanks to Shelley O'Leary for today's message. Shelley, the communications and outreach specialist with the professional dairy producers. And our thanks to you for listening and supporting these weekly PDPW podcasts. And we encourage you to have a safe and productive week. More at pdpw.org.